Throughout the season of Easter, we've walked with the disciples as they have come to grips with their new post-resurrection world. This journey from Easter to Pentecost has taken us with the disciples 50 days. Today on Pentecost Sunday, we gather in another upper room. 50 days ago, the disciples were in an upper room scared and afraid. The women had told them that the tomb was found empty, that Jesus had risen from the dead. But they could not believe it, or maybe they did believe it. But they couldn't imagine what life could be like in a post-resurrection world. Resurrection, new life, can be scary. But as they gathered in this upper room on Pentecost Sunday, things began to change. All of a sudden, Scripture tells us from Acts chapter 2 that there is a noise. It sounds like a thunder. Had they known what a train was, they would have said it sounded like a train bellowing down the tracks. And there was wind, wind blowing strong, and suddenly tongues of fire on their heads. The heads of all the disciples, and yet their hair did not burn. But more than all of this, something began to happen on the inside of them. A fire burning inside of them. A power came upon them. The power of the Holy Spirit that was greater than all these outward signs. A power that was stronger than the wind and burned hotter than the fire. The power filled them with boldness. Fifty days after the resurrection in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, the disciples are no longer afraid. There was no doubting. They were not going to let this moment pass them by. They were filled with power and filled with power. They began to tell their story. The account of this moment, which we heard read at the start of our service today, told us that each disciple began to speak and to tell a story. And no matter the language that they used, the crowd of Jews who had come to Jerusalem from the four corners of their world to celebrate this Feast of Pentecost, every one of them, everyone gathered, heard what the disciples said in their own native tongue, each one perhaps a little unique. See, there was something about the disciples' story that they spoke to these people. They, the people could hear it in their own language. They could understand it from their own experience. Stories have a way of speaking to us in a language that speaks, that we understand with our hearts. The disciples had embraced their second chance. They were living it. And they had a story to tell all the people. A story of a Messiah who had showed them unconditional love, who died and rose again and invited them and invites the whole world into new life. They had an incredible story to tell. And like a mighty wind, God's Holy Spirit came upon them with power and they had to speak. And everyone, we're told, heard that story. There were over 3,000 people that day who were moved by what they heard and they gave their lives to Christ. Now, church, we we have a story to tell. When you experience a second chance, you've got to talk about it. You've got to tell other people about what you've experienced. As we heard read a moment ago, the Gospel of John, the ending of the Gospel of John, well, it's a little weird, really. The writer tells us, but there are so many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that were written. Until recently, I just assumed that the writer of this statement meant that, well, Jesus did a whole lot of things. A whole lot that we don't even know about. 
And while that may be true, I think the truth of this statement speaks much is larger than the acts that Jesus did on this earth because Jesus is still active, still doing a whole lot of things. And if we were to write down everything Jesus has done from then until now, every life changed, every act of power, every second chance given, then the whole world could not contain all the books written for the whole world is filled with these stories of Jesus changing people's lives. And these are the stories that should be written. And these are the stories that should be told. When our worship series began, I invited you to share with us stories of your second chance. And, well, at least someone took me up on the offer and sent me his story. Richard White emailed this story to us. Richard wrote, writes, in the fall of 1979, my wife died of a brain tumor. It was quick, unexpected, and left me to tell our three children why their mother was not coming home from the hospital. It was not an easy thing. One child was 11, the other 14, and the third 16. And the next period of our life was stressful, but we kept our faith. And after Christmas, we started experiencing some normalcy in our lives. It was about a year later that I remarried, and now the children had a new stepmom, complete with a stepgrandma. And they accepted each other well, and life was good again. But 23 years later, we laid her to rest after a long, painful death from esophageal cancer that she battled for two years after enduring numerous surgeries, fighting for her life. Dark days returned, and again we closed ranks and relied on our faith to get us through this other setback. And two years later, at the age of 66, I realized I did not want to live alone anymore and found a new soulmate, Joanne. She had lost her spouse about the same time I lost my second wife. And we met on a blind date arranged by mutual friends. Happy days are here again. Life is good. And I want to go on the record saying life is short. Share it with someone you love. You are not alone. And there is someone out there looking for you. Wise words. Today, Richard says we share five children 14 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. Life is great. Amen? Amen? Amen. And thank you, Richard and Joanne, for sharing your story. You're a blessing to us. That's the power of stories. When we share them, when we tell the way God has worked in our lives, amazing things can happen. The power that the disciples experience on Pentecost gave them the courage they needed to speak the words they needed to say. But the real power began when they spoke. The power of their words, of their testimony, changed lives, changed the world forever. And we call Pentecost, as Mary Jo said, the birthday of the church. And this is how the church began. It wasn't, the church didn't begin with a committee, with a denominational initiative. Jewish folks coming together and saying, you know, let's do something new. Reach out to more people around the world. There wasn't a building campaign at the beginning of the church. The church began with disciples who had been scared, terrified, finding the boldness and taking the risk to tell a story. They shared their testimony and the church began. 
That's a word we don't use much anymore in church testimony. There's a whole lot of really dirty words I could say that would probably be less offensive than that word testimony. It just kind of, I don't know, it makes my skin crawl a little bit. It makes us break out and hide to testify. That's a little scary. A couple of years ago, our church's vision team at the time read a book together. Uh, the book was called Real Good Church, the story of a church in the suburbs of Boston that had experienced a turnaround. And they weren't a mega church by any means, but they were a growing church, an authentic, diverse, and kind of funky church. The author of the book, Pastor Molly Finney Basket, says that there really wasn't one thing that caused the turnaround in their church. There were 200-something things. But perhaps the most powerful thing that they had experienced together was the power of testimony. 52 weeks a year, she writes, someone in our congregation climbs the steps to the chancel, stands in the pulpit with their knees knocking and their mouth going dry. And they step up to the microphone, she says, clear their throat and say, now is the time when we bring our stories before God. And then that person tells their story. But when they broke down, when they broke bad, they confessed their sins, their vulnerabilities. I've been bulimic since I was 13. He used to come into my room at night. The first time I tried crystal meth. And that's when I threw the toy truck across the room and screamed at him. Pastor Basket says that each story makes it a point to talk about everything. They, in their church, they talk about drugs and sex and rock and roll, about addiction and racism, every strand of mental health crisis, nosediving marriages, pride, ego, ambition, as well as the biggest taboo in church, money. We talk about them not as abstract comp- concepts, but as real things, as real sins. Wrongs done to us, wrongs done by us. There is nothing our people must leave outside the doors of our, of our church, not one piece or part of ourselves that is not welcome here, no matter how ugly, shameful, or stigmatized. She writes, the Gospel of Thomas says, if you bring forth what is hidden within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, then what you do not bring forth will destroy you. If you don't tell your story, in other words, it could kill you. Or as the late great Maya Angelou put it a millennia later, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story. And every story, Pastor Basket says, ends, always ends in grace. It's usually a version of, and that's when the lights went on. And we tell each other how God entered the story and wrote a different ending, held up a mirror so we could see ourselves beautiful and beloved just as we are and as we are becoming. Now, now let me stop here before we get uncomfortable. I'm not suggesting we start doing this in our church. I mean, wouldn't that be something? Standing before one another, exposing our faults and our failures, confessing our sins, telling about how God is birthing second chances in our life. Wouldn't that be something? But, but I'm not saying we should do that. But, but what if we did? What if we did? In the wake of Easter Sunday, Jesus' disciples, they hid away, covered in shame, scared that the ones who killed Jesus would kill them too. But then, well, then right in the midst of their shame, Jesus shows up. 
And do you remember that first story a few weeks ago, how Jesus breathes on them? He breathes on them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And it takes a little bit for this Holy Spirit thing to catch on. It takes 50 days, in fact, but 50 days later, the breath of God is a mighty wind and the Spirit falls upon them and they're filled with power right there in that upper room and they go into the crowds of people. Peter and the disciples who were scared now tell their stories, stories of pain and loss and how they messed up and how they betrayed Jesus and denied him and said they never would leave him and yet at the first chance they ran and they told their story, how Jesus had died and risen from the dead. And everyone heard it. Everyone heard it in their own tongues because these kinds of stories, well, they transcend language and they speak to our soul. And the people listening were cut to the heart and they said, what should we do hearing this story? What should we do? And Peter Peter, the one who perhaps had the hardest time coming around. Peter, who Jesus said, do you love me more than these, Peter? And Peter said, yeah, and feed my sheep. And Peter stands up and feeds the sheep. And he says, well, repent. Turn around your lives. Be baptized. Give your life to Christ. Every one of you in the name of Jesus so that your sins may be forgiven, so that your stories may be turned around and you can experience a second chance as well. And you, too. Peter says, will receive this same power, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 stories were made that day. And how many stories were written from then until now? So many that if you wrote them all down, well, the whole world could not contain the books. Now, Now, before I end this sermon, let me clarify again. I'm not saying we should do something like that in this church that we should give testimony, that we should share our sins and our failures, that we should talk about brokenness in our life. I'm not saying we should share with one another that God is turning it all around, that grace has been given, that our lives have been changed. I'm not saying we should do that because it might be uncomfortable and it's a little different. But what would happen if we did? What could happen if we did? 